Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. And I'd like to introduce Vicki Sayers. Vicki is a part-time faculty member. She was full-time until this year. Is it first year not, right? Or second year? Uh, it's, it's confusing, all right. But anyway, uh, many of you know Vicki. I've had the opportunity of being in the office next to her, <laughs> and that was a real trip. Uh, <laughs> and it yeah, was well, a delightful wrong. trip too. And, and I generally don't like trips, so you know, it's, uh, <laughs> this was this was a good one. But looking forward to what you have to say. Let me say a prayer for us. Oh, thank you. Father, thank you for this morning. And as we turn our thoughts to you, and as Vicki guides us in those, we pray that our hearts would be open and receptive. And you know how our hearts tend to wander. We pray that you would bind them to you. Uh, just pray that we would be lifted up and encouraged by today. Amen. Good morning. And Ken, thank you for that hymn. That was pretty much the perfect soundtrack to my talk. So thank you. Um, I've been asked to talk about James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. I have some things to say about this passage, but first, let me read it to you. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. I'm going to interject a note here. Phil told me about the King James Version of that verse, and the evil that is so prevalent is just this wonderful phrase, so I have to tell it to you. The superfluity of naughtiness. The superflu That's funny, guys. You can laugh. <laughs> okay, back to the, the verses. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceives them. they deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James. Now I'd like to set the stage a little. First, I'm going to share the email Matt sent back in September asking me to speak in chapel. And next, I'll share my email response to him. Matt's request. Hi, Vicki. I trust that your class is going well. How about speaking in chapel? Are you up for it? I'd love to have you do it. I've got you penciled in on November 3rd. Will that work for you? We are working through the book of James, and your assigned text would be 1, 19 through 27. How about it? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark. Matt, when I got this email, I was initially excited. Then I noticed the passage he mentioned. I felt a little squirrely. And when I looked it up, 
I felt a whole lot squirrely. Here's what I wrote back. Well, I had a good sardonic laugh at the irony of me saying anything about those verses without my hair catching fire. But I guess that's not a good reason to say no. So sure, I'll do it. Thanks for asking. See, I have a long and rocky relationship with the book of James. It sets me on edge. It makes me feel bad about myself. I flinch and cringe when I read it. Let me be clear. The fault is not in the book of James. It's in me. I think you have to be brave to read James, and I'm not always up to it. But I went and said yes to Matt's email, so here I am. And of all the passages out of James, it had to be this one. Why does this bother me so? Most of you don't actually know me, but for those of you who know me, you have some idea. We'll get there. I want to acknowledge first Matt CB's excellent introduction to the book of James. You remember the smell of marinara and the hair gel and Long Island and all that? Um, he did such a good job with that. Um, I listened to his talk and it settled the chaos in my mind. It gave me a framework for the book and it helped me think more clearly about the book and especially this passage. You might remember that he described the book of James as, and I'm quoting here, a collection of wisdom sermons or practical instruction about how to live well in a world where Jesus is Lord, but where most people, even Christians, reject Jesus as Lord in their thinking and living. James, he said, challenges us to unlearn false ways of thinking and living. He points the way to learning how to live as a witness to the truth. I really like that Matt included himself and James and all of us as people who need to unlearn false ways of thinking. He also spoke about being put to the test or undergoing trials in a way that I found redemptive because, you know, who wants to undergo trials and testing? But Matt made it sound like a hopeful thing. He talked about how trials reveal things. The cross itself certainly qualifies as a trial, and it reveals, Matt said, God working purposely for us. It reveals victory over evil. I found Matt's conclusion so comforting. Because Jesus is Lord and God is for you, he said, you can do hard things joyfully, purposefully, and with endurance. And I can see his thoughts applying to the passage we're dealing with today. It's another little wisdom sermon showing us how to walk in the light in the midst of a lot of darkness and chaos. So thank you, Matt, for bringing your clear thinking mind to bear on this book. And now it's my turn and I shall apply my monkey mind to this passage. Being who I am and loving what I love, I'm going to take a literary approach to this passage. In my Intro to Lit class, I tell my students things they can do to find their way into a difficult piece of writing. I suggest questions they can ask themselves about the work in front of them to help them unlock its mysteries, to help them navigate complex territory. Here are some of the questions we ask. What feelings did the work awaken in you? What image or images were called to your mind? What memories did it bring up? You see, we're personally engaging with the work. 
What confused you? Made you stop and say, what? What? What turns did the work take, especially unexpected turns? And did you hear any echoes? So we're going to go through those questions, and I'm going to show you how I answered them going through this short passage, starting with the feelings. Let's just say I don't go to James for easy comfort. Here are the feelings I get when I read James. Guilt, recognition, guilt, defensiveness, guilt. And guys, I know I'm forgiven, but these are the feelings I experience reading these words. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I listen okay sometimes, but I still interrupt a lot. And I am not slow to speak. I love to speak up. I talk. I love to talk. I talk a lot. This has been a problem for me during this pandemic and in my first year of retirement. I am alone a lot. My cat gets an earful. My husband, Reuben, also gets an earful when he comes home from work, and I descend on him and just talk. So does any random stranger on the street or in the store who happens to make eye contact with me. My filters are not completely off, but they're pretty sketchy and thin right now. I know this passage is dealing with a certain kind of speech, hasty, angry speech that just stirs things up. Oh, we wouldn't know anything about that right now. And it doesn't accomplish what God wants to accomplish. But you see, I do that kind of talking too. I'm easily stirred up. I'm pretty good at this. I get all wound up about things I care about, and I think I'm speaking pure truth and, you know, bringing the light of pure reason and all that. But often my mouth gets way, way ahead of where my mind and my good sense are. Okay, the feelings. The images that come to mind are more big picture, and they don't just involve me. I see our current cultural moment, people. This is a mess. It is so polarized, so volatile, so prone to reductionism, and yes, anger, and all in the name of righteousness. So you can hear me getting wound up. And I see the church acting the same way many times. The way people outside the church see Christians in this culture makes me so sad. They see us as loud and angry and demanding that the culture conform to what we want. That's tragic. And I don't think it produces the righteousness that God desires. Those are my images. Memories this passage brings up are more personal. I see myself speaking up too fast, hurting others, muddying the waters, embarrassing myself. But enough of that. Let's go to the part I always love, which is what was the stumbling block in what you read? What made you read and you felt like you were going over a speed bump? That's where you have to go back if you're a student studying literature. And if you're me studying this passage, you go back there and focus on that and try to figure it out. Okay. For me in this passage, it's the mirror. What on earth is going on here? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Take a minute, think about that, try not to be neurotic. Just when you look in a mirror, what do you see? 
I'm seeing serious faces. Okay. I know it's hard to look in a mirror. You may be looking intently, but do you see yourself, your true self revealed there? Just answer that in your head. Yes, no, maybe so. Do you see your true, true deep self revealed there when you look in a mirror? And if you do, can you just walk away and forget what you saw? This is at the heart of my reaction to James. He keeps making me actually see myself, and I'd rather not. He's like this relentless mirror showing me who I really am when I ignore what God wants me to do. This mirror, it really stops me. It's a picture to me of our limitations, the poor reflection we see, the way we don't see who we really are when we stare at ourselves in a mirror. Paul says we see through a glass darkly. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. It is hard staring at a dark glass, trying to see what's there, trying to figure it out, trying to see beyond it and through it. It just makes you want to give up and walk away and forget about it. But James tells us to look at something else. He points to a way to see not just something of who we really are, but also who we might become. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And this is the turning, the turning point, the unexpected one. He goes for this grim picture of a shallow person staring at a mirror and walking away. And then he turns us to what we should be staring at and looking into. When we do look at a mirror and walk away, in some ways we forget who we really are. And it's really easy to forget who we really are. James pivots us to looking into the perfect law that gives freedom. And when we do that, we find life there and a way through the darkness and a way to live in the freedom and light of God's love, a way to imagine ourselves as more like Jesus, as walking towards that. So what's it like to look into the perfect law? I think it helps us see ourselves, but it also helps us bear that sight because we know how much we need God and we also know God wants us to come to him. I think it points us to who we can become, more like Jesus. How is it freeing? It teaches the truth to us and it shows us how to witness to the truth. And the truth really does set us free. In Christ. The psalmist describes looking into the perfect law this way. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. I'm a fan of light. The fear of the Lord is pure enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. 
And now we're back to God's righteousness and how he wants us to live, which is one of the many echoes in this passage. James tells us to be slow to speak, slow to anger in verse 19. In verse 24, he warns that people who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue are deceiving themselves and their religion is worthless. Just look around. It's in us, but it's all around us. Try to pull back from that. In verse 21, he tells us to get rid of moral filth and evil and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. And this is echoed in verse 25 with the person who looks into God's perfect law, doing what he has heard and being blessed in what he does. And James echoes verse 21 in another way. Get rid of moral filth, and surely unbridled anger is connected to that. And the evil that is so prevalent, the superfluity of naughtiness, we find the echo in the last verse of the passage. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and, here's the echo, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I warm up to how old Matthew Henry kind of sums this up. He says, the worst thing we can bring to any dispute is anger. Here is an exhortation to lay apart and to cast off as a filthy garment all sinful practices. This must reach to sins of thought and affection as well as of speech and practice to everything corrupt and sinful. We must yield ourselves to the word of God with humble and teachable minds. Remember the word implanted, humbly accepting it. Being willing to hear of our faults, taking it not only patiently, but thankfully. Oh, that's a tall order. I'm not patient or thankful, but I'm still going, trying to do it. It is the design of the word of God to make us wise to salvation. And those who propose any mean or low ends in attending upon it dishonor the gospel and disappoint their own souls. I don't want to finish this talk without giving, with giving you the impression that I can never go to James and find beauty and joy there. That's not true. To illustrate that, I would like to tell just a story from my own life. You have to go back half a lifetime. I was 35 years old. I was pregnant with our second child. I was very close to giving birth. And one night, Near the end of that pregnancy, I was lying in bed, and I couldn't sleep because I was worried. I was afraid. I thought, oh, my baby, I'm an older mom. What if there's a health problem? What if there's a condition? Can I handle that? Ah, and you know how it is at night, or maybe you don't, but someday you might. You, you just can't control those fears, and they go round and round. And right at that point, our first child, who was sleeping in the next door room, made one of these little boy sounds in the middle of the night. I don't know what it was. I, it was maybe a little giggle in his sleep, or maybe he was talking in his sleep, but it was just a delightful sound, and it broke right into my worry. And I, it was almost like I could hear God saying, you hear your son. I gave him to you. He was a good gift. And this verse from James came into my mind, and it was probably easy to come into my mind because it's so poetic and beautiful. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And I lay there and I thought, 
the Father of heavenly light, sending gifts from above, good and perfect gifts. I felt like God was saying, I give good gifts. This little baby you're carrying, this little baby is a good and perfect gift. And in that moment, I felt known and loved and able to trust deeply, and that's saying something that's not something I do well. I felt wrapped in God's perfect law, and that was a wonderful place to be. Let's close in prayer, and if you could stand. Father, help us keep looking into your perfect law so that we can see ourselves clearly and know that you love us and will guide us through this world into a full knowledge of you, which will be beautiful. Forgive us when we flinch. Help us to keep coming back to you, to your light, to your love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.